HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble. This fall, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival. Head to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's July 13th, 2023. Now let's go around the room and introduce our guests. I'm Alo Galinsky. I work for Craft Beer Cellar and Trink Tish in Belmont, Massachusetts. And I'm Hilary Wallentuck, registered dietitian and senior nutrition specialist with New England Dairy. Great. We've talked a lot about pairings and, and how to taste and it's, it's kind of neat to be invited by, uh, thanks, Simone, at uh, We Are Craft Collective invited us to meet with you at, at New England Dairy. So let's tell us what New England Dairy is and, and you know, how important farms are and uh, a little bit about the work you guys are doing. Yeah, so New England Dairy, we are a nonprofit education organization. We're staffed by registered dietitians and marketing and PR professionals, and we serve as the voice of dairy farmers in New England and eastern New York. Our mission is to really champion our farm families in the region and the delicious and nutritious dairy foods like cheese they produce by connecting people to dairy farms and then supporting various nutrition programs like child nutrition programs and delivering the latest nutrition and sustainability science to a wide variety of audience like the general public or other health professionals, university students, all of that. So really we're all about celebrating dairy and connecting people to their farmers because we love dairy. Dairy's a backbone of New England, and um, we want to keep them around. Wow, that's that's a great intro. Alu, tell us about you. I know you just took the Certified Cicerone exam. Yes, sir. I have been studying for a while now for the Certified Cicerone exam, and I passed it in January of 2023. Congratulations. Thank you. It was it was a lot of work, but it was fun work, you know, drinking beer and studying beer. It's a passion of mine, so I put myself into it. That's great. Well, um, you know, just let's dive into this because I'm feeling really, what's the word? Like, I love this conversation today. <laughs> There's a plate of different cheeses in front of us, 
I've got a, a certified Cicerone and I'm, I'm in a place that's dedicated to supporting small farms. So I, I, I'm almost speechless. So I'm going to let you talk. So how many dairy farms are in New England? So New England is home to about 1,000 dairy farms. And Whoa. Yeah. But and what's really cool is that nearly 97% of dairy farms in New England and across the United States are family owned. We have some farmers in New England who have been farming for 13 generations, so since, since the 1600s. And so it's truly important to our farmers to be able to pass their farms on to their families and be good stewards of the land and their animals, so for all their future generations. What do you think about that, Alou? It's cool. I mean, there's a lot of correlation between farming and beer making, beer, you know, uh, barley growing. So a lot of that heritage, it goes back, as Heidi was saying, to the 1600s. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, there's a nice correlation between the two. Wow. Um, you know, for, for dairy and, and, and cheese and everything, um, gosh, wh what does it take to keep a farm going? You know, it, it, there's, there's hot weather, there's cold weather. I mean, it, the, the farmers must really care for their, their animals. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot goes into that. I mean, their animals are their business. They, the majority of a dairy farm's operating costs are on their animals. It doesn't make sense for them not to care for their animals because ultimately it's a business producing dairy and that all comes down to the cow. So providing, you know, top, you know, top feed, veterinary care, animal nutritionists. So I, I'm a registered dietitian for humans, but cows have their own nutritionists to design diets and, and also being good stewards of the land. I mean, they, we talked about dairy being local and, you know, being, you know, farmers, but farms, actually dairy farms, excuse me, in New England and Eastern New York, they own the majority of the cropland in this area. And if we were to lose that, we're losing our green open spaces. So there's a lot that goes into dairy farming and keeping them around. Yeah, no, for, for years I've noticed that, that in places like upstate New York, there's so many millions of acres of, of former dairy land. It, it's amazing that there's still so many farms doing dairy in New England. I mean, it's a popular food group, you know? I mean, we grew up um, having milk on the table, and it's really, you know, a lot of folks are still doing that. But, you know, so many people have, have cheese in their fridge, yogurt, rely on dairy as a source of essential nutrients and protein to fuel them throughout their day. And so, yeah, these farmers, they, they're in business because we're all loving dairy. <laughs> I know I have about a third of my fridge filled with dairy products between yogurts and cheeses and milks. I love it. I might be snacking on some of it right now off this board, so Hillary's not wrong. <laughs> we, we have a lot to look forward to. There's a full plate of cheeses in front of us. Alou, um, I know you work with uh, Trinktish and Craft Beer Cellars in Belmont. Uh, what role does cheese play in, in the menu? Because I know there's a lot of uh, beer and, and beverage pairings going on. Yeah, I mean, cheese is part of our menu. We have a beer cheese sauce. It's homemade by uh, Chef Kate, Kate Baker, who is Trinktish's chef and co-founder. And cheese plays a big part in making the beer cheese sauces. Also, it plays a small part in some of the accoutrements and other dressings on the menu. But it's a big part of who we are. We love food and beer together. We love how it works together. Part of my job as an events coordinator is to come up with fun, unique events that bring the community in. And I actually recently did a beer and cheese flight night with local Formaggio Kitchen, where we got four cheeses and four beers together and walked patrons through a flight of beer and four cheese offerings and talked about how they work together. And so it's right up my alley. I love cheese. I love beer. It's fun to talk about and fun to play with. Uh, we're definitely going to ask you about those pairings in a, in a little bit. Um, 
So what are, you, what are your favorite cheeses or dairy products? Oh, man. So if we're sticking with the cheese, I have two. Uh, first off, cottage cheese. I know cottage cheese is having a moment right now. If you're on Instagram or TikTok, everyone's doing something with cottage cheese. But I grew up in a you know Ashkenazi Jewish household. Cottage cheese was a staple. And kugel, noodles, and cottage cheese, just on everything. So I love me some cottage cheese. I'm happy that it's it's sticking around strong. Um, and I love love aged Gouda. If it's a Silly, funny backstory, but it involves being lost in Prague and someone, you know, middle of the night, like 3 a.m., and someone whipping some aged Gouda out of their pocket, cutting it with a credit card. And it was just the best thing I've ever tasted. And from then on, just will always love aged Gouda. Lou, do you have a favorite? A favorite cheese? Manchego is really hard to beat. There's something really nice about a refreshing Manchego. Great. And, and I have a favorite. In southern New Hampshire, there's a farm called Bell Goose, and they're part of a a farm network, and um, they make amazing feta, like so good that a, a friend who had been, spent time in, in Greece said this is the closest thing to traditional method feta. Um, what does it take to keep these farms going? Because I know that in some cases it's the land. You know, I'm, I'm, I know that land can be expensive, and I know there's land trusts. And in certain areas, it seems like what I've seen in southern New Hampshire, and there's pockets in New England where the, the farm culture is really strong. Um, do, do you want to tell me about maybe some of the farms and some of the regions that, that stand out for, for you guys? Yeah, I mean, a lot goes into, you know, keeping dairy farms going, and it ultimately comes down to our support as consumers and eaters. Uh, you know, we they don't exist if there's no home for their product. So, you know, their, their milk um, goes into the grocery store in gallons or, or half gallons, or it ends up you know, in school milk programs, in restaurants, cheese, you know, yogurt, all of that. And, you know, it, again, it ultimately comes down to our support. And that's why at New England Dairy, a big goal of ours is to build trust in dairy and dairy farmers and their practices. Because there is a lot of misinformation and mistrust about animal agriculture out there. And we, we're here to shine the light on the hard work of our local dairy farmers and, you know, that they are producing a nutritious, sustainable food and caring for their land, caring for their animals. So, so much goes into that. And, you know, we have farms, farms are ev everywhere. What's cool about dairy is that if there are farms all over the United States, so it's a local food throughout the country. It doesn't make sense to milk a cow, you know, in California and ship that gallon of milk to New England when we have dairy farms here. So they're, they're all over the region and they are what's, you know, there it's a local food. Milk is going from cow to you to grocery store in just about 48 hours. It's going, you know, being picked up, processed, um, packaged, and delivered to the consumer, that fluid milk, um, really quick. So you can, you know, really rest assured that, you know, when you're buying milk in the grocery store, it's a local product. And for cheese, something like that, you know, obviously it takes a little bit, a bit more time and processing. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of local cheeses. I know we have some today, but we have local, you know, farms throughout New England and Eastern New York making cheese, which is really cool. So lots of local cheeses. In terms of a local movement, I think that beer and cheese and dairy are all tied together. I mean, farms everywhere are having the sustainability and localized movement. They like to tie them together. The more you can localize products, 
and put them in front of a consumer and say, hey, we have the best local or the most local X, Y, or Z, it works. People love local beer. People are flocking to craft breweries. And if you can have other local products on the shelves, I know at Craft Beer Cellar, we stock Jasper Hill. Uh, we stock Jasper Hill cheese. We stock cheeses from other New England dairies and farms around because people love to see that local tied together. You know, I remember way back, maybe 15, 16 years ago, I first started being exposed to American farmstead cheeses, and J Jasper Hill was was one of the first that, that we were eating in New York City. Um, let's talk about the cheeses that, that you, you selected for us, because I think we're, we're going to get to taste them. Yeah, we actually, we do have a Jasper Hill cheese today, and I will give a plug. Uh, a couple of years ago, they let us behind the scenes, and we did a virtual tour of their like cheese caves, which was incredible. So <laughs> they don't allow the public in, but we virtually, they took us through. Uh, we did a whole webinar on it. So if you're curious behind the scenes of Jasper Hill, newenglanddairy.com, we have that recording. Um, but we have Jasper Hill's Bailey Hazen Blue. We have, and they're out of Vermont, as we talked about. Arethusa Farms Camembert, and they're out of Litchfield, Connecticut. We have Cabot at Extra Sharp Cheddar. Cato Corner Farms Hooligan, which is a washed rind, really funky cheese. And then we have, and they're out of Connecticut as well, and Smith's Country Aged Gouda, and they're out of Massachusetts. And we also brought some, you know, different foods, and we can talk about, you know, how to how to pair it, but I'm definitely excited to learn about the cider that would go well with this. Ciders, beers, I mean, you really want to look at complementing flavors and contrasting flavors as well. There's kind of the three C's of food and beverage pairing, which are complement, cut, and contrast. And when you're building either a charcuterie and cheese board or kind of a flight pairing menu like I did for my event, you're looking for things that work together and also go through a spectrum. So you're starting with something light, something bright, and then you're moving to some kind of a darker, funkier, heavier stuff in terms of both beers or ciders and cheeses. So when you're talking about a dry cider, you might want to pair that with something that has a little bit of a bite to it, but also has a creamy element because the dryness of the cider is going to cut right through the creaminess of that cheese. If you're looking at something funky like the Bailey Hazen Blue, you're going to want to go to a beer or a cider that's a little bit heavier that can kind of complement the richness and robustness and funkiness of that cheese. So you're thinking like an imperial stout or a barley wine or perhaps a barrel-aged cider or even maybe a natural cider that has a little bit of that natural funk to it that's gonna complement the funkiness of the blue cheese. So there's all kinds of different ways to skin a cat, pardon the expression, and it's really fun to do. I mean, you might find a pairing that nobody else has heard of, you might find a pairing that you like that other people don't like, but there's no right answer, which for some people back early in school, that would drive me insane. I like finality, I like right answers, but it's an open interpretation. We have four cheeses, three jams and jellies, and a bunch of accoutrements on this board. There are probably a half dozen beers or ciders that can work any which way through the cut, complement, or contrasting of food and beer pairings. Hillary, do you always have these great cheeses in your <laughs> office? <laughs> and so we do, we typically always have milk and cheese in the office, which is a great perk. Uh, I work at a, my home office, and I will say we often have meat and cheese nights. We, we don't, you know, for myself and my husband, we're not necessarily making it look super pretty, but we are eating a lot of cheese <laughs> and various accompaniments. Um, in our house. Oh yeah. It's act like, I love interactive yeah. eating, uh, different tastes, different flavors. I mean, I, I like a food adventure. Especially on a hot night. There's nothing better than sitting mm -hmm. down with a board of cheeses, some fresh fruits and not having to cook 
barely having to clean up and just kind of enjoying the spread that's in front of you, like tapas style eating. I love that. Yeah. So what, what are your pointers for building the, the, a, a good charcuterie board featuring cheeses? Yeah, I mean, some of the same, um, you know, things that Aloe mentioned, you know, focusing on a variety of flavors, textures, colors, and shape, you know, opposites attract, you know, you, you, you don't want all the same consistency or all the same flavor, but you also want the flavors to complement each other. So think, you know, like you got a smoked cheese with a smoked meat and, but including both savory and sweet as well. And something that I've read a lot and, and agree with is what grows together goes together. So you can't really go wrong if you know, in you're, you're in Vermont and you pick a local Vermont cheese and then there's local Vermont, maybe cider or beer, you know, they're being grown in that same soil and, you know, coming, the, the flavors of the region are coming together and, you know, fingers crossed, it's going to taste delicious. Um, something just like from a logistical standpoint, say you're making, you know, designing or, you know, building a cheese board for guests, you know, we eat with our eyes first, you know, I'm at home alone. It's not looking pretty. You know, you're, you're, you you maybe want to show something off, you know, choose a nice board. Think about different colors. You know, don't just have it all be white. Um, you know, you're just like white cheese on a, on a board. Think about, you know, incorporating cheese signs, you know, not everyone like ourselves or, you know, cheese, cheese lovers are willing to try everything. Some folks are a little more apprehensive. So if you could, you know, let them know what they're eating. Hopefully, maybe they're more willing to try it. And a big thing is you want to bring cheeses to room temperature before serving. So think about an hour ahead of time. Take that cheese out of the fridge um, and let it rest and the flavors will really come to life versus taking it right out of the fridge. The, the, <laughs> Hard to do. <laughs> in your Cicerone program, what am I describing right now? I'm, I'm waving towards my nose. You're <laughs> yeah, you're getting all the aroma. I mean, taste is also smell. They go so hand in hand with one another that being able to smell something, get the aromas of the beer, of the cheese in front of you. And sometimes that can't be done until, to Hillary's point, they're warmed up. I know when I structure my beer and cheese pairings, some beers are actually better served at a warmer temperature or sat until they warm up. So that stout that you're going to drink is not going to be until the end. That might be because, yes, it's the highest in alcohol, but there's also a method to my madness in creating that kind of line of beers is that the stout's going to be better at about 45 to 48 degrees than a crisp cold Pilsner, which is best drank right out of the fridge. You have to let some of that malt character, the derivatives, kind of warm up and develop, and that'll pair really nicely with almost as Gouda that's on the board, like a stout and a Gouda. You're going to get a little bit of dissonance in the textures, but the flavors might kind of meld together in a nice way. So, Hillary, let's go through the cheeses one more time and we can construct an ideal based on what we have here now because it is the ideal cheese board. And then Alu can perhaps make some suggestions. So let's you, – you start with – yeah. You one at a time. Tell us what it is. We can taste it. Alu can taste it, yeah. and we can make some suggestions. Yeah. So we have um, an Arethusa Farm Camembert um, right here, and they are out of Litchfield, Connecticut, a local farm. And you know, pairing today, we we brought some dark chocolate, and we have raspberry jam as well. Go with. But again, as Alu mentioned, like, I mean, I, I could say this for every cheese. You do you. Like, you know, maybe you like to be with, with something different or, you know, I don't know what you like it with. Maybe not orange, but maybe someone does out there. <laughs> Who knows? So, you know, you just got to give it a try. But today we brought raspberry jam and dark chocolate um, for the camembert, excuse me. 
And then we have Cabot extra. Wait, so oh, yeah. No, I'll yeah. lose. So you're tasting the camembert. I'm tasting the camembert. I'm loving the camembert. And the first three words that come to mind are fatty, salty, and mild. So those are the components of the cheese that I would then dig into for a beer pairing. First of all, I'm going to want a beer that's carbonated enough to cut through the creaminess and fattiness of the camembert. And then I think, okay, there's a salt profile, but it's not too heavy in flavor like a blue or a funkier cheese. My mind goes, to, and also the saying in food and beer pairing is when in doubt, go Belgian. I love Belgian beers. I spent a week in Belgium as part of my beer education back in September and ate and drank my way through that country. Belgian Blonde or Belgian Golden Strong, uh, Delirium Tremens, La Chouf, a Lefe Blonde, which is a more kind of imported, more recognizable beer. That would go beautifully with a Camembert because there's a nice rich malt profile to the Belgian beer. It's a little bit sweet, so it's going to cover the saltiness. And the carbonation level is going to wash away the fat and the camembert. Lou, that was beautiful. Tell me one more time, what's your maxim? When in doubt, go Belgian. You know what? He's a man after my own heart. I'm, I'm getting really thirsty. We have to figure out we're in Boston, so we're actually in Brighton, which is part of Boston. And I'm with Lou, who works in uh, Belmont. Where should we go after this for for a beer? Well, if you're heading to Belmont, I'm never going to say don't go to Trinkish. That's our beer hall, Forty Taps. Great selection of European-style beers and local beers. We have anything from Hill Farmstead to a locally brewed lager for us, Trinkish Table Lager, as well as beers from Belgium, beers from Germany. Great place to go and sit and have a pint or three. Locally, I mean, from Brighton to Belmont, there's a ton of great places. Uh, Lulu's in Alston's right up the street. Great place to go and have some beers. Uh, Boston's a beer-rich city uh, with some great breweries. Notch. Notch Brewing in Brighton's uh, one after my own heart. They specialize in lagers. I'm a loggerhead. I call myself a logger lover and a Saison savant. Those are my two styles of beer that I will always go to first and foremost when available. So there's no bad options around here. So on Instagram, you're craft beer concierge, but you should be Saison savant, right? If I ever had to redo an Instagram profile, yes. But the melding of that came from my first life as a hotel concierge. So I melded my love for craft beer and my past as a hotel concierge to really help guide people. You know, where to go drink beer, what to pair with beer, how to cook with beer. I love cooking with beer. There's so many rich and depth elements you can get from cooking with beer that people might not realize. I love to put a stout or a porter in chili, in brownies. Uh, you can cook some sauces with different types of beer. So there's a lot you can do with beer that I just wanted to share with people. And Concierge kind of gives that, kind of like Cicerone, Concierge is a guide. It's somebody who's going to show people where to go, how to do things, and how to get there. And I'm trying to do that through beer. Okay, there's a recipe I want, I want from you. For a while, I've seen beer cheese in... in in pubs mm -hmm. what is beer cheese i mean it's a dip but but i mean what kind of cheeses would you use and and what kind yeah. of beer as i finish a lovely dark chocolate it's a beautiful open palate kind of as taylor's point you can do anything with cheeses you can mix sharp cheeses like a fontina you can go mozzarella for something really melty and stringy you can sharp cheddar is always a great place to start and then you just build in different flavors fontina sharp cheddar and gouda are probably the top three that i'd use for a beer cheese if I'm making a macaroni and cheese, which I love to make mac and cheese, those are usually my three starting points. You can add Parmesan for some little extra saltiness. You can even dust the top of a mac and cheese with Parmesan. So beer cheese sauce is really a blank canvas. If you have great dairy like milk or cream, cheese, and a beer, you add beer to the sauce. And <laughs> is that the keyboard that I win? I don't know. What's that, Hillary? There's something going off in the background. That is a cowbell at our New England dairy office. We have all the dairy, <laughs> everything you could imagine. We have a, a butter churner in our office, big 
big barrel. We have multiple cowbells. Um, we got it all. So please visit us if you're you ever have craving. a lot of education happening here? So we do, I mean, we are, <clears throat> excuse me, an education organization. How we do that looks so different every single day. As a registered dietitian, you know, my my main role is to educate the general public, but also other health professionals like other registered dietitians so that they have the latest science and recommendations on dairy and that they know what's going on on dairy farms. So, you know, when their clients and patients ask, you know, people want to know where their food comes from. They want to know that it's sustainable, it's local, that the animals are cared for. So hopefully through, you know, our education of these other professionals, they can provide those informed answers. Um, but we have, you know, some folks on our team who are in the more marketing PR side who are going around to different, you know, markets and events throughout the region. We have um, a, a milk truck retrofitted uh, with a tap system, yes, <laughs> um, to pour milk, which is very cool. So it's combining like, you know, love of beer, but actually serving milk to family. So if you go on our website, you can find out, you know, where newenglanddairy.com, you can find out where they are throughout the region if you're, if you're craving some different flavors of milk. So what we do, so different all the time, but it ultimately comes down to connecting people to their farmers, building trust, and, you know, celebrating love of dairy. You know, I, I know that doctors and also uh, alcohol producers can't put on their labels that that beer is a health, health healthy. But personally, I, I do feel it can be. Now, I just heard that with all the heat we're having, that the best thing to drink is a glass of milk. And at first I was incredulous, but I'm like, maybe there's some truth to that. Yeah, milk is an excellent hydrator. You know, you think you got you got your liquids, you got your fluids, you're hydrating, but it's also repl replenishing those electrolytes you're losing in your sweat. Um, so, and then it's a great like fuel for protein. And actually, chocolate milk is an excellent rehydrate. You know, refuel. I lose smiling. I'm smiling. <laughs> My girlfriend would be very glad to hear that. Yes, you know. So yes, yeah, celebrate your love of chocolate milk. Bring it back. Buy it. Um, you know, athletes especially. You know, they're, they're frequent drinkers of chocolate milk because it has the ideal ratio of carbohydrates to proteins to, you know, rebuild muscle after workout, but also replenish those electrolytes and refuel you. So, yes, hot weather, have a glass of milk, or, but don't say no to ice cream either. I mean, got to cool down. <laughs> no, I, I just got to say, so uh, Ron Burgundy was wrong. Milk wasn't a bad choice in hot weather then, correct? I'm the worst. I've fallen asleep to Anchorman every single time I tried to watch it. Well, now you'll have to, now you'll have to go yeah. back and, and look for it. It's in the last 15 minutes of the movie, okay. so I can let you fast forward a little bit. I, I've seen it for probably the first half, so I'll start, I'll start the second half. I'm glad you told me what that reference was. <laughs> and um, this is cool, you know. I mean, milk, we're going we're gonna to end up saying how much we love milk because, you know, I personally feel like there's so many – I don't know if I can say this. There's gimmicks and fads, but ultimately I feel like whatever's from the farm that's closest to you and the most natural product is going to be better for you than anything. So the idea of drinking milk on a hot day or milk after you've had a run, it sounds pretty good. Actually, maybe with some ice, maybe a little chocolate, chocolate milk on ice. Or you could freeze milk in ice cube trays do that as well so make it extra cold but you know That's not 20, watering it down right there. <laughs> <laughs> Alo, okay now we're talking went from milk to ice cream ice cream and stout 
Is, have you ever had that in a, in, a, in a pairing? Or? I have, and it's funny you mentioned that because I'm working on our next flight night will be beer and local ice cream uh, from Rancatores in Belmont. So that's a fun pairing I'm working on for our next event. Um, I've had a stout, they call it a beer float. You can have different flavors of beer or beers and uh, ice cream together. Another really popular one is to have a raspberry beer, a raspberry lambic style beer, which is a Belgian fruited beer, and add some sherbet or ice cream to that. You can even make kind of a black and tan with a stout and a raspberry lambic and float ice cream on top of that. I've never had that combination together, but there's some textural also similarities and differences between the beer and the stout because also you have milk stouts. Those are lactose stouts. So there are some creamy elements to that kind of beer. There's lactose in a few different styles of beer and it'll mock that creaminess of an ice cream. Also there's sherbets out there that will work well or sorbets with sour beers or other beers in terms of texture. So food, I mean... Beer and food pairing is all about playing with textures, flavors, and, you know, contrasts and comparisons. It's, it's fun. I'll date myself because when, I remember when, when I was first exposed to, to beer and food pairings, the dessert course for a long time was stout topped with ice cream. Okay. All right. Hillary, next cheese. We had one cheese. We're going to get to the next one. We're going to get through all these, and Alu's going to eat them all, and we're going to eat them all, too. <laughs> So next up, we have Cabot Extra Sharp Cheddar, and we're pairing that. Um, we have an apple butter and some crackers as well over here. And actually, you know, you think, I, I don't know, I think of cheddar and apple, so I feel like that compliment, like, goes perfectly with cider. That would be a fall pairing. Like, if you're looking into October, early November, sitting on your porch, it's, the weather's cooling down. Cabot is synonymous with New England. Apple butter and a little bit of cider. I'm going to taste this apple butter because I haven't had it before. Just to get a sense of it because that's sweet. You don't want a cider if it's too sweet that's going to blow those two things or cover up one or the other. You don't want the apple butter to mask the cider. You don't want the cider to mask the apple butter. And that sharp cheddar is going to give that tang and that richness to everything. So again, I, I love dry ciders. I mean, anything like a Spanish cedro type, which is really extra dry. Or even some hop ciders out there that might work nicely with that with the apple more in the background. I'm not the biggest cider drinker in the world, but I do appreciate a dry cider, especially on a hot day. The New England cider and apples are synonymous with fall. So this to me would be a late October, early November pairing. All right, we made it through two pairings and I'm, I'm just getting hungry too. Um, Hillary Feed, did I ask the difference between soft and, and hard rind cheeses? Yeah, so it's really in the cheese making process. And I, you know, I will say it's cheese making. There's so many steps. It's, there's nearly like 2000, if not more types of cheese out there. So it can vary. I'm not a cheese maker. So don't come at me, you know, with my, my basic steps, but you know, you're taking, when you're making cheese, you're taking milk, um, and then you're curdling it with either an acid or a rennet. And some cheeses are done after that step, like think of cream cheese or cottage cheese. But then, you know, some cheeses, you, you, you know, you keep going down the line and you're going to take out the whey, which is the liquid. So you have the casing, the curds. And so soft cheeses, you know, it could be there. You just remove the whey or maybe you cut a little bit or minimally cut um, just because those larger pieces of curd retain more moisture. So only the whey is removed or they're only slightly cut. Whereas harder cheeses, you're cutting, you're removing the whey and then you're cutting it into smaller pieces because it loses moisture more easily. And then you press that, those curds to remove the moisture. So it's ultimately about the processing, um, but it's all starting 
with milk, which is really cool. You think of all the different things you can do with milk and all the different types of cheese out there. And you can go beyond that, add secondary cultures with like a blue and you can get really, really funky. Um, or you can, you know, take it easy if you just want cottage cheese like I do. What are you craving right now, Luke? More of this cheese, baby. I'm just looking at the cheese board and ready to work my way through. And nice cold beer afterwards will never hurt. Okay, next cheese, number three. Yeah, so we have Jasper Hill, Bailey Hayes and Blue. It's out of Vermont. And that, you know, something we brought or I brought today because it's a favorite combination of mine. And I please, I welcome you to try it, is blue cheese and ginger snaps. That is a... Nice. Yeah, it is a, a Swedish tradition. And it's an awesome combination. And I, I think it's really a, a fun element to the cheese board. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you because on my way over, I, I was, my little guy... Pairing was from Garrett, Garrett Oliver's uh, Brewmaster's Table, one of the first food and, 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 and beer pairing books of, of my time. And he always says an aged blue cheese with barley wine. Yes. And I was on the way over, I'm saying, I hope that Hillary has a blue cheese and I'm wondering what it's going to be. And you have just made me happy because I love Jasper Hill and I love Bailey Hayes. And it goes back to I'll give a shout out to my friend Ann Saxelby. Sadly, she passed a couple years ago, but she was the woman who brought American Farm said cheeses to New York. And that's how I got to know Jasper Hill a long time ago. So this is always on the top of my list. Bailey Hazen, I love it. I don't. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> no, I should say I don't love blue cheese. He said, we, we practiced this before, don't worry. I don't love blue cheese, but that has changed my mind a little bit. It's saltier than funkier, and it's not quite as in-your-face funky as some of the, dark, the other blues or maybe gorgonzolas that I've had before. I don't mind that. I've also, I did a wine and cheese night at Curds & Co. in Brookline earlier this year where they did pair a blue with a ginger cracker similar to this. Really great. They kind of go really nice. There's a spice and a salt and... This does scream for barley wine. That, that is the classic pairing. English or American barley wine, barrel-aged stout. Again, this is getting to that end of the spectrum where you're fighting strength with strength. You want two things to pair together that are not going to overpower one another. You want a big, bold beer to go with a big, bold cheese. And then also, when you get to this level, the quality, the, the, the care that Jasper Hill puts into it, I eat this cheese by itself. Like I, I would only, I might have it with with a cider or a, a barley wine pairing, but I wouldn't even have it with with any other food because it's it's. If you're talking about like dairy being perfect, like some of these cheeses are at the top of of the pyramid. They're perfect, and you can't do better than than this blue cheese all by itself, right? You got it, Jimmy. <laughs> now you're supposed to join in Hillary and say, cheese is at the top of the, is it, now is there, is there still a food, food, is there still know, a food pyramid or is there, tell us plate. about it's a plate where cheese now. plays into this. Well, there is a, there is a spot on my plate, which it's called now. It's replaced the food pyramid for dairy. Um, so cheese definitely, you know, it has a spot on the plate. My Hillary's personal food pyramid or, or plate, she's, Cheese has about half of the plate. You know, you said you eat it alone or you eat cheese alone. <laughs> no, no. Just, just really good blue cheese is like I this. I eat cheese alone at I home. I do too. No shame. No. So, yes, afternoon snack a lot of the times for me is just like having some cheese, maybe pairing it with, you know, a piece of fruit to some not, you know, not drag me down, get me through the rest of the day. Um, What's your favorite fruit with cheese? Good one. 
I uh, personally, I love an apple. Like yeah. I love an apple and cheddar. We we always just have cheddar in our house. It's I mean it's so versatile and you know putting in meals. My dog you know is a big fan. You know we're just so feeling. We always have apples and those are two New England staples as well. So, yeah. what about you? I'd say in full fruit form apples, but if you're going jam, strawberry or peach. Something strawberry jam preserver. Also, I love the combination. Like in my, I have a Stonewall kitchen. It's a hot peach pepper jelly right now, or some of a strawberry habanero jam. Something that's spice and fruit together in a compote or a jam is really nice. But apples is a whole fruit. You know, when we're making, I definitely see the trend the last maybe five or six years of, of these charcuterie boards, and I see people giving classes. There seems to be a formula. Like for me, it's like good cheeses are first. And then the other stuff is what I have seasonal. Why the focus so much on jams and nuts? It seems like it's a pantry thing where you've got your preserved foods and then you put them with, with your cheese. I think it's about that communal aspect. You want things that are going to be on a board that whether you are sitting down by yourself for an afternoon snack and want a couple tablespoons of a jam or you're creating a board to share with people, you can do something like the presentation in front of us where you have a spoon or a knife and you're able to pass that around and get people to try different things in different combinations. And also, again, the locality of it, having a local jam or jelly, having a, a nut that you really like, having pretzels. You can kind of theme boards. I have two books at home on how to build cheese and charcuterie boards, and they're organized by holidays or seasons, and it's just something you can put together for the fun of it and try different things. And then where does the ginger snap fit on your charcuterie board? Christmas time. <laughs> Sorry, Hillary. That's the only one where I would, I would just, right now looking at, I would eat the ginger snaps by themselves too, so. But I'm, I'm, I'm a purist. You'll have to give it a shot. And just to, you know, expand on what Alice said, you know, you think about local seasonal foods. Uh, you know, dairy is something, you know, 365 days a year, our farmers are milking their cows. They're creating nutritious local dairy products. But other than dairy and seafood in New England, you think about what, what grows in the winter here, not much. So, yeah, sometimes we can't have fresh fruit, um, and we're going to rely on preserved foods. Um, you know, so celebrate that i i think yeah you like alo mentioned you know check out some local preserves jams jellies crackers all all of that um and and celebrate local foods and yeah in the fall have put an apple on the plate in the winter you know put some jam wow we're off to a great start we're going to take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio this episode is brought to you by wisconsin cheese wisconsin certainly knows their cheese the only state that requires a license to cheese, they take the craft very seriously. That's why this year, Wisconsin Cheese is hosting the very first Art of Cheese Festival to celebrate all things curds. From September 29th to October 1st, you too can join the Jubilee. Over the course of the festival, you can learn how to pair cheese like a pro. Art of Cheese is thrilled to offer classes on pairing cheese with wine from the industry's leading sommeliers, cocktails from spirits experts, chocolate, and coffee. Yes, coffee with cheese from a former cheesemonger. At Art of Cheese, you can level up your artisanal cheese making knowledge with a curds on deep dive amongst the cream of the crop and celebrate all things cheese by dancing the night away as the bell of the Wisconsin cheese ball. You won't want to miss out on finding your next favorite cheese at the party of the year. Head over to www.artofcheesefestival.com for your tickets to Pastured Paradise. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Oh, we're at the New England Dairy Association. Is it, what is this, New England Dairy? We're New England Dairy. New England Dairy, I like yes. that. 
Yes. Straight We'll forward. do it again. No nonsense. And this is, there. I'm ringing a, what am I ringing? We are ringing a cowbell cow because wow. we, we're an education organization. We represent dairy farmers. That means we need to have some farm swag on site. So if you ever want to ring a cowbell, come on over. So of, of the thousand small farms in, or dairy farms in New England, do you know all of them? So if I, I said before Bell Goose Cheese out of southern New Hampshire, do you know who they are? I've heard of them. Someone on our team probably knows them. You know, we have, uh, you know, different staff throughout our region who are working locally, you know, with farmers. We have farmer relation specialists on our staff who are working alongside, you know, not, not on the farm, but working with farmers um, to help share their story. So, or helping them work through issues in crises and really just promoting their work and helping, you know, them, you know, with their day to day. So I bet someone on our staff does, but yeah, we, it's a huge perk of the job is getting, you know, to visit dairy farms, getting to know our farmers and then seeing the products they make. It's really cool. Wow. It sounds pretty great. Hey, Alu, did we try all four cheeses or do we only taste three? Uh, we've only tasted three. So I'm going to go into the next one. If you want to tell us what it is, Hillary. Yeah. So next up we have Cato Corner Farms. It's Hooligan. It is a washed rind, super funky cheese. Like so funky, complex, pungent, and, you know, food-wise, you know, the cheese has got a lot going on. So I think, like, to contrast that with something sweet, like whether it be honey or apricots, you know, you know, sweetness with that intense flavor. What do you think? It's funky, but I don't dislike it. There's, almost, there's, a, there's a peppery heat to it, which I really enjoy. I've never had anything like this before. And, you know, it, it, it could probably even be more warmer. I don't want to say warmer, but more room temperature. Yeah. No, it's good. And my first thought goes to something with a malt profile, beer-wise, to complement it and also kind of take away some of that funkiness. Maybe even go into a, a British beer, a Scotch Ale or an English-style porter. Something with, English yeast can tend to be a little funky in its own right, but that might actually match the funkiness of this beer. But the dark malt, dark malt profile of a Scotch Ale, Scottish Ale, or English porter would kind of go nicely with the texture and the flavors of this to kind of wash away some of the funkiness. I wouldn't go something super light and I wouldn't go something super heavy. And I know when I say when in doubt, go Belgian. A Saison may actually work with this. A Saison's a Belgian style of beer because there's that lemony citrus aspect that might play nicely with the funkiness in this cheese. But yeah, I'd say the Belgian Saison or an English style beer with a malt profile for this. So will you at one point do a Belgian beer and cheese tasting at Drink Tish? You tell me when, I will set it up. All right, this fall, we're going to do it. And we'll do something with Bring in New England Dairy Cheese. Please. Oh, my gosh. I, I love it. I can't wait to hang out again. Wow. <laughs> and I, may, may, I, may I talk about this this cheesemaker, Cato Corner? Because I know I know her. Liz, really well. She was involved in New York City Green Markets. And um, she was one of the pioneers, of, of at least in the greater New York City area, of, of people going back to the land and and making cheese the old-fashioned way. And, and she's got a lot of funky rind cheeses. Also, just like real straight up, like kind of cheddar, gouda style, you know, hard, hard cow's milk cheeses. And I just want to give a big shout out. If you ever see Cato Corner cheese, try it. It's going to be probably the most interesting cheese you had, right? Yes, sir. He's not impressed, are you? <laughs> no, I like it. I, it's making me think. I have the flavors from when I taste it, and I still have the flavors in my mouth after I've tasted it. So... It's sitting, it's sitting with me. Yeah. And, and the important of like 
whether it's a, a tasting at, at, at a good restaurant or bar or cheese shop or my experience with Cato Corner are the great farmers markets in New York City. And um, the fact that you can go and taste through all their cheeses. How important are farmers markets and, and, and other ways? What are the what are the best ways for, for farmers that are making good cheeses to interact with consumers? Yeah, I mean, it also, it depends on the farm. You know, some farms are milking cows and making cheese on site. So it's possible that they have a store um, that you can visit and taste and purchase. Or they might, you know, if they're a smaller operation or, or larger, you know, be at a farmer's market or be in local stores. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, if there's a cheese you love and you want to visit the farm, you know, ask them, check them out on social media, contact them, see if, you know, see if they have a place you can visit. And then some farms, you know, like actually Cabot that we have today, uh, many farmers, like a lot of different farmer, farms milk is going into making that cheese. You know, Cabot is part of a cooperative. So these are dairy farmer owned, operated and controlled. And they, you know, their milk is pooled and the cooperative takes care of processing, packaging, transporting, distributing. Um, so Cabot Farm, Agrimark Farmers, their milk goes into Cabot products like delicious cheese and butter and all of that. So you might not know exactly, you know, it's not a single source cheese, you know, a single source farm cheese, but it's still a local product because local milk's going in there. Um, and then there's some, I don't even know your original question, but, <laughs> but, you know, there's some also local cheese producers that are not dairy farms, but they are getting their milk from local farms like Mystic Cheese Company in Connecticut. They get their milk from River Plain Dairy in Connecticut. So, um, you want to try different cheeses, you know, farm, go to a farmer's market. I bet, you know, you're guaranteed local there. Um, but also you can go to your local, you know, grocery store. I, I shop at Market Basket, you know, <laughs> good old MB. And, you know, you can find local cheese there as well. They, they have everything from Cabot too, don't they? They have a lot of Cabot products there. I know they sell Jasper Hill and, you know, even... The store brand is likely local as well, because again, um, a lot of you know dairy products, especially milk, it's it doesn't make sense for it to travel farther. Which, but cheese, yes, cheese can certainly come from all over. But I think that's the beauty of that as well. You get to try different, you know, cheese from all over the world. I think you guys are inspiring me. Although we definitely have to do like a, a New England dairy cheese board pairing project. I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. One of the best pairings that I found when I did my last beer and cheese flight night was we did uh, Jasper Hill Harbison, and I was stuck between two different beers. I was stuck between a Belgian beer, and I was stuck between Maine Lunch IPA, which is a really synonymous new, uh, new I shouldn't say New England style beer. It's a New England beer, but it's a, like a West Coast style IPA. Once I tried the Harbison and the Maine Lunch together, I was immediately transported to being in the woods in New England because the Harbison has this kind of umami, mushroomy earthiness to it. And then there's the piney notes from the hops that you're going to get in the main lunch IPA. So between the pine and the umami kind of earthiness, it just made me feel like I was walking in the woods in New England. And that's also when you're building boards, when you're building pairings, when you're drinking beverages, you want things to evoke memories, memories of where you were, when you were, and how you were at a certain time. And it strengthens. When I was studying for my Cicerone, you're blind taste tested. And I'm going through 60 different beer styles because eight of them might show up on my exam. And you have to start developing sense memory and actual memory of where you were. Things like 
just different flavors and smells and perceptions of different beers because you can be blind taste tested on them. And it's important to develop kind of that sense memory. Wow. Now, Hillary, you as a, a registered dietitian, so um, what is the connection between your, your, your field and, and dairy and, and why are you guys working together as New England Dairy? Yeah, so, you know, I, yes, I'm a registered dietitian. I got my master's in nutrition. I, I left when I graduated. I was working in a hospital, you know, doing clinical nutrition, doing counseling. And I, I really wanted to be somewhere in more prevention where you hopefully prevent people from getting to the point, you know, being in the hospital. Um, and this job posting came through. It's like, do you love cheese, milk, and ice cream? I was like, yes, I do. Do you love farms? Yes, I do. And that, that, that's the post? You love cheese, milk, and ice cream? Yeah, you know, <laughs> we have some really fun job postings. It's a great job. <laughs> um, and, you know, ended up at New England Dairy, and we staff registered dietitians because there's so much science and research behind dairy's role in a healthy diet. Um, and we're really lucky that our dairy farmers value our education and, you know, are being able to translate the science to the general public that they want registered dietitians representing them. Um, and so, yeah, what, what we do as dietitians looks very, again, very different depending on roles. Um, you know, some are working more closely with schools because dairy is a part of the school meals program and federal nutrition programs. Some of us, like myself, uh, you know, are educating consumers and other health professionals and getting to eat cheese and, and, and lots of fun stuff. <laughs> this is fun. Do you have a cheese cave on site? <laughs> In our basement. I'll let you go down to our basement at your own You're, you're serious? No. <laughs> it's scary down there. That was exciting, wasn't it, Alu? A cheese cave in this building? <laughs> Sounds awesome to me. It, and what about a trink dish? Do you guys just bring in different cheeses for events, or do you usually have, uh, like, you have wheels of cheese? No, we don't have any cheese, like, plates on the menu at Trink Dish. But, again, doing these events lets us partner with local vendors and local restaurants and shops, I should say, that do. that can give us a little bit of a different something to our clientele. So, you know, we get people in to eat and drink the menu at Trink Dish, and then we have these specialized events once a month. Where it's a sample. You know, you're getting a sample or kind of an appetizer before the main course type of thing where you can come in, you can try four different beers, you can have a couple of cheeses or chocolates or ice cream as we're coming up with, and then go down and experience the great European uh, beer hall menu at Trink Dish. So, you know, we don't have any cheeses per se on our menu, but we always encourage and oblige people to love food and beer pairing and cider pairing and the, inter the intersection of all of that. I'm really having a good time and <laughs> looking forward to our pairings afterwards, Alu. Um, so back to some of the programs you've been doing. Yeah. You're doing flights, different ways of showcasing the flavors of cheese and, and beer. Tell us about the, the most recent one you did. Well, the most recent one I did was this cheese and beer pairing with Formaggio Kitchen. Uh, there is one coming up that we're going to do in September. We're going to have a whole slate of Oktoberfest-themed events over at Trinktish. We're a European-style beer hall. It's the perfect place to celebrate Oktoberfest and the cultural significance of it with all the beers we have on tap. I'm working with Courage & Co. in Brookline to do an Oktoberfest-style beer and cheese night. So it's all going to be German beers and German and Austrian cheeses or styles from German and Austri Germany and Austria, whether they're local or not. And we're going to put those together and see how they work. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about the history of Oktoberfest and Oktoberfest-style beers and German beers. 
And I'm also working on, we have beer dinners at Trinkdish. We have a Von Trapp brewery from Stowe, Vermont coming down. And there's a great cheese and local farm scene in Stowe, Vermont and Vermont in general. Von Trapp's going to be down for a beer dinner. Uh, Jack's Abbey is going to be in for a beer dinner. So we really like working with these local New England breweries to bring them in. Chef Kate's going to create a great four-course pairing menu with their beers. And it's just a convivial, fun time. Oh, man. It's really, I got to meet you through some some online your craft beer concierge, like I've, you came to Cider Feast. Yes. That's where I met you um, re- recently. And uh, Hillary, this is really cool. I, I, I do think there is a cheese cave in this building. <laughs> there's a cow's bell <laughs> and there's a butter churn. Yeah. So let's talk about other things, butter. So we got cheese, dairy, butter. And and how important are, are these, the health benefits and how important is this for, you know, young people and, and in our diet and, you know, what what what's, is, yeah, I want to talk about the health benefits of, of dairy. Yeah, so, I mean, you brought up butter. We're eating a lot of cheese. Uh, you know, I grew up in low-fat, you know, fat-free. I, I'm a millennial. Everything was, you know, low-fat or fat-free in my house. But, you know, because fat was feared. But a lot of recent science are, is indicating that whole-fat dairy like milk, cheese, and yogurt is not linked to a higher risk for heart disease. And there's some really cool science out there actually about cheese that cheese actually may be associated with a lower risk for heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, type 2 diabetes. And the science is still emerging and really new, but they're thinking that it actually comes down to the structure of the cheese or what we call the the cheese matrix and how like the structure in the relationship between the nutrients and non-nutrient components, vitamins, minerals, bioactive components, how they interact within that physical structure, texture, and form of cheese actually can be beneficial or just not, you know, to be as feared um, as, you know, whole fat dairy once was. So a lot of cool science coming out um, about cheese. So, so yeah, I mean, dairy, dairy has a role in a healthy diet. And if whole fat dairy is something you want to consume, um, you know, whether it be cheese, milk, yogurt, yeah, you want some butter, you know, ice cream in moderation, all of that, um, you know, it certainly can can have a place in your diet, which I think is is delicious. But if hey, if skim milk's your thing, that's your thing too. You know, we're all about celebrating all dairy here. So if I go to a farm and I get some fresh milk, now in the old days there was always like the cream was on top mm-hmm. and then the rest of the milk. Um, can I take that cream and make butter? Yeah, I think you probably could. I've made homemade butter before. You just you shake you shake the cream for a really long time, and then um, you got your butter, and then you drain the whey. Um, I bet you could. Um, I know some people, you know, just just eat it by the spoonful. Uh, you know, the milk in the grocery store has been homogenized, so it's been you know milk mixed. Excuse me, so you don't get that cream top layer. But yeah, a lot of local farms you can buy their milk at that cream top. I say give it a shot. Try try making butter. Although, have you made butter? I have not. I haven't either, and I want to. Oh, it's so easy. (laughs) Get some cream, mason jar, and literally, you just need, like, a strong arm or a couple of people, like, pass it around um, and just shake it, and literally, you have butter. You could add some different herbs and flavorings in there before you shake it or or after, and I think that's a really cool, like, addition to a cheese board as well. Like, add some fun butter. You know, butter boards were, were in for a little bit, or maybe they still are. They were all the hype, but, you know, add butter to your cheese board. Why not? Thanks so much, Hillary and, and, and Halu. 
Um, anything else you want to say? Uh, again, tell us again about New England Dairy, just for our listeners again. Yeah, so, you know, please check us out at newenglanddairy.com. We are on all the social media channels at New England Dairy. Um, if you're looking for, you know, to learn more about dairy, see some, like, cool-looking cows connecting with a local food, local farmers, you know, we're, we're celebrating it all. So yeah, just check us out on social. And if you have questions about dairy or you hear some stuff and you're like, I'm not sure if that's true, like reach out to us. We're happy. We want to have those conversations with you and, and, you know, get people to celebrate dairy and, and our local farmers, because they're a huge part of, of our economy. Um, you know, our land usage and and we should be celebrating them and, and keeping them in business and, and ultimately that comes down to eating delicious dairy so i encourage you all to go to eat some cheese have some ice cream drink a glass of milk after listening to this podcast all right alu anything else you want to say just thanks so much for having me jimmy this has been really wonderful to talk with you and with hillary about dairy beer everything new england farming and locality Get down to Trinktish Beer Hall in Belmont if you haven't yet. It's in the same space as Craft Beer Cellar, a great craft beer store. You can buy thousands of beers and ciders in single format. Stay around for some great food and beer. Look on our calendar for great events coming up. If you want to follow me personally, I'm at Craft Beer Concierge on Instagram. And I look forward to doing this again sometime. Well, thanks so much, Alu and Hillary. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. Big shout out to our engineer, Armin Spengen, who's going to clean this up. And we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks so much. Cowbell. (laughs) Woo. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.